Good evening, and thank you for joining us once again. Uh, it's great to have you be a part of this time. Really appreciate you prioritizing the time or making the time, depending on when you're watching this, just to hear the word and to, to give thought and attention to the book of Luke as we've been studying through it. It's been my privilege to do that. I want to uh, just real quick uh, mention a few people for prayer. Uh, I think it goes without saying uh, we should be in prayer for our country. Um, God certainly has, uh, he's, he's in control, we know that. But uh, it's just this next month is, is going to be a, a very interesting time for Christians and non-Christians alike. And we have a king, and his name is Jesus, and we know the end of the story. And because of all of those things, I think we're going to have an opportunity to be able to speak into the lives of those who don't have that security. So uh, I, obviously we should be in prayer. Let's also keep in prayer for those from a health standpoint uh, that have recently had surgeries. You know, Les Yeager, Pam Dahlhausen, I believe Rick Ward uh, is either scheduled for an MRI or will be having one or had one, I should say. Um, also, just others. Um, we need to just continue to keep them in prayer. I'd also ask that you pray for those uh, individuals that we have had a ministry with in the past a number of years. Boy, oh boy more, more years than I can remember. And that is our nursing home ministries. Uh, Grace Church of Mentor has ministered to three different nursing homes here in Lake County for at least the past 15 to 20 years. Actually, four different nursing homes or assisted living facilities. And since February, we haven't been able to, to go in there. Tonight, uh, I'm, I'm saying this tonight, uh, this is Friday for me, but um, this evening I'm going to be officiating a funeral of, of a lady who was part of a Bible study that, that I led for the past four years. And truthfully, I haven't been able to see her since COVID shut things down in February. want to just continue to pray for those souls that we have had a ministry to and that uh, we are unable to minister to now. God's in control, but it reminds us of people that really, really need our prayer. So why don't we go to the Lord in prayer before we start, uh, before we look into Luke chapter 10, and bring these souls before the Lord, bring our country before the Lord, and then we'll look to God in his word. Father, thanks for this day. Thank you for our time. Lord, we thank you that um, you know the beginning from the end, that you are going to accomplish your will, and we thank you for our role in it. Lord, I pray for our country, I pray for us as Christians, that we might demonstrate faith and hope and love in what we know to be true. Help us to rely on the Lord, not just our circumstances. God, regardless how things go, we ask that we might shine as lights to the people around us, that we would reflect our faith and trust in you. God, I pray for those who health-wise are recovering from surgeries. Pray for Les. Uh, pray for Pam. Pray for Rick. Pray for others as well uh, that escaped my memory at this time. I pray that you might have them heal quickly. Lord, I also pray for those who are in the nursing home facilities. I think of the Enclave and Mentor. I think of Heartland and Willoughby, Heartland and Mentor. I think of Emeritus there in Mentor and these souls that um, we've been able to minister to for such a long time. 
and the staff members and, and all of those individuals. God, I pray that you might sustain these, these people, encourage them. May we as believers continue to pray for them, be in contact with them as best as we can. Lord, return our ministries to them as quickly as possible. I pray for those who are maybe not in those ministries, uh, in, in, in those facilities, but are still shut up at home. Lord, may we as, as Christians be mindful of our brothers and sisters in Christ, bringing them before you in prayer, making sure that no one slips through the cracks. Lord, we love you. We thank you again for the promises that are in your word. We thank you for the privilege that it is to carry light into our world, and we thank you that uh, you give us our marching orders. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 24. As you know, we've been going through the book of Luke. It's a book that describes Jesus as the Son of Man. He's the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Man. And how Luke, writing to Theophilus, both this letter and the Acts of the Apostles, writing to him, recording the works of Jesus, what he did while here on earth, who he is, his teachings, and in particular, the impact that it would have on Israel and really the rest of the world. But it was also a letter that demonstrated how Jesus was fully God and fully man. And today we're going to see, uh, really, the first instance of him commissioning disciples to carry forth evangelistic ministry. You know, several times in the book of Luke, we read Jesus performing a miracle and telling his disciples not to tell anybody about it. But here we have Jesus commissioning disciples to go and carry a message. So let's read Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read verses 1 through 24. It's a longer passage. We're going to read verses 1 through 24. You follow along as I read. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted in heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me. 
And the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. and Nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. I mentioned earlier that this is really the first time where Jesus commissions his disciples to go with a message. Now, as we read this passage, we might think, oh, well, this is evangelism. And since it's evangelism, and since we've been called to evangelize, this could be a template for our own evangelism. This is going to be relevant to, to where we are right now. And I would qualify that. In fact, in some cases, I would say, no, it really isn't a template for our evangelism in the 21st century. And here's why. First of all, when these disciples, these 70, were sent out, they were sent out to go to a place where Jesus was personally to go as well. In verse 1, it says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. So they were precursors to Jesus physically coming. Obviously, we don't do that. We can say that Jesus is coming, but Jesus, we don't know when he's going to come. Here, these disciples were to go and to proclaim that the Messiah was coming. The kingdom of heaven was near. To that end, this commission had an exclusive focus that did not require certain things of them. First of all, it didn't require them to provide for their own physical needs. In verse 3, he says, Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, but carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one the way. There is an urgency. They weren't really to care about their physical provisions. Now, even later on in Christ's ministry to the disciples, this uh, way of approaching things changed. What do I mean by that? Well, in Luke 22, Jesus actually alludes back to this time where he says, do you remember when I sent you out without having a money bag and, and weren't you provided for? And the disciples would have said, yes, we were. But then he says, now I send you out and make sure that you take a sword with you. If you have a cloak, take two. There's a shift in the ministry, as it were, where what was going on at this point in time was different than what was to come later on and even what is currently going on right now. Obviously, we don't go on missions endeavors without thinking about provision. We don't send missionaries out in the field and say, don't worry about money, don't worry about clothes, don't worry about... No, of course, those are things that we care about. But here, Jesus had 
uh, had them not worry about those things. We also see that during this particular commission, the disciples were given extraordinary power, power manifested in sign gifts. And we don't see those in our ministry right now. In verse 8, it says, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those in it who are sick. Verse 19, Jesus says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. This was directly related to the message that they were to give. Back in verse 9, that message is clear. The kingdom of God has come near to you because the king was there. Later in their ministry, the disciples were to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're not performing miracles. We don't have the promise that nothing will injure us. Why? Because here the king, Jesus, was coming and was present and was going to, uh, and those signs were evidence that the king was here. And we can look forward to those signs and, and powers when the king comes again. When he rules here on earth, we can expect to see amazing things like this. Why? Because that's what accompanies the God-man, Jesus, our king. Jesus, our king, is not here presently. So we don't have this luxury or this privilege that the disciples had. We also see that this particular commission had a unique response to those who rejected the disciples. In verse 10, Whatever city you enter in and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I don't remember any evangelistic outreach where when people rejected a plea to come to Christ, that we here at Grace Church of Mentor walked out in 306, dusted off our feet and said, enough with Mentor. No, we're called to continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here, these disciples were given specific instructions about what to say and how to respond if that message was received and how to respond if that message wasn't received. Now, I'm saying all this just to show that this passage isn't a template for 21st century evangelism. But this passage is indicative of certain things that do apply to our evangelistic outreach, to our role as laborers in the harvest. Look at verse 2. Jesus says, And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I believe that this verse is just as true now as it was then. That God still wants us to be praying for laborers to go into the harvest. Now, I think the question is, who are these people? Who are these people that God would send out into the harvest? Well, in verse 21, we see that God has chosen unique individuals to do the work of the ministry to be the laborers in the harvest. And if I can put it this way, if you are in Christ, God has chosen you to be a laborer in the harvest. God does not 
want certain individuals to be laborers in the harvest while others to simply have different roles. No, each one of us has been called to make disciples. If you've been here around the Grace Church of Manor for any amount of time, I'm sure you've heard that phrase, and maybe you might be getting tired of hearing that phrase, make disciples. But this is what God has commissioned us to do at this point in time in history. There will be a time where you no longer have the obligation to make disciples. It will be one of two times. Number one, Jesus comes back, or number two, you die. But until those times, we have been given the commission to go make disciples. Now, from this first event that we read here, what can we glean from the character of these laborers that would apply to the 21st century? What can we take from this passage? Well, I think primarily what we're going to see is that God intentionally uses the least of us to accomplish his will when we are submissive and grateful. Let me say that again. God intentionally uses the least of us to accomplish his plan or his will when we are submissive and grateful for our role. If God has chosen us to be a part of his plan, the laborers in the harvest, what type of people should we be like? Well, first of all, we should be, as laborers of the harvest, we should be submissive. Submissive. They say, where do you see submissive? Well, I would say that in verses 1 through 24, there is a theme of authority and submission throughout this entire text. If you just bear with me, I'd like to show how this plays out here in this text. First of all, we see Christ's authority to send. In verse 1, it says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs. Verse 3, he says, Go, behold, I send you out. Christ had the authority to appoint and to send. Second of all, Christ's authority extended even to specific instructions about what they should say and how they should respond to those who accept or reject. We mentioned this earlier on. He gave them almost a play-by-play. -play. Look at verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. Verse 6. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. And as we keep me, uh, reading, we see Jesus giving very precise instructions on how these couples, these, these, these disciple-making disciple pairs, I guess you could say, or these, these um, disciples, were to go into the surrounding area. Jesus had that authority. We also see Christ's authority conferred to the disciples, who in turn exerted authority over the spirit realm in the name of Christ. Look at verse 17. The 70, once they'd gone out, they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Verse 20, Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Authority and submission. Even demonic spirits were subject to these disciples 
insofar as that they spoke in the name of Jesus Christ and with the authority of Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 16. The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. The disciples said that the demons are subject to us in your name. This is, this is the authority of Jesus Christ. He's the king. And those who are his disciples have been called to submit. But we also see authority in the interplay of the Trinity. Look at verse 21. At that very time, he, Jesus, greatly rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal to him. We see God's authority even in executing this plan the way that he wanted it done. Now, if we are to demonstrate, as these disciples did, an attitude, or if we're to demonstrate this, this uh, uh, approach of submission, what does it look like? Well, first of all, I would say we are to be submissive in our practice, in our practice. We have all these instructions by Jesus, and we're left to assume that the disciples did them. That when they went to these particular houses and things played out the way they played out, that they actually followed Jesus' instructions. He commissions 70. He says, go out. He says, say this. If this happens, say this or do this. If they say this, then say this and say this. He gives them very specific instructions. And they do them. They were submissive. Laborers in the harvest are responsible for being faithful to the message that they are sent with even when they're faced with the reality that that message might not be accepted. Jesus spends four verses, three, three or four verses, talking about Jewish cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. These were cities where some of the disciples were from originally. And Jesus is calling down woe to them. Woe to you cities. Why? Because if these pagan Gentile cities like Sodom and Tyre and Sidon, if they would have seen what you're seeing, they would have repented. But the fact is, is that many of them rejected the message of the gospel. That doesn't mean that the, these, these 70 were to somehow you know, mold the message to make it more agreeable or somehow make accommodations so that it would be easier for them to accept it. No, they were called to carry this message. The kingdom of God has come near to you. And the signs that they performed would authenticate the authority of that message. We, as laborers in the harvest, are responsible for being faithful to the message. But we're responsible to give the message. At some point, as we build relationships with our unbelieving friends, at some point, the message of Jesus Christ must be on our lips. It must be. We can't just friend people into hell. 
And what I mean by that is continue to be good friends and continue to hang out and continue to, to enjoy a lot of things in common, but not bring up the most important part of our life, who our king is and how he has changed our life. Now, you might say, you know, that's fine for you, pastor. You talk for a living. I mean, you know, there's people I know that can go into a room and they can just take any conversation and weave the gospel right in. And you know what? You're absolutely right if you're thinking that. There's some people that have the spiritual gift of evangelism. And it's awesome to see. And we praise God for it. But can I tell you, what God is looking for isn't the most talented people. He's looking for those who would submit to his will and do it. He's looking for people who would be submissive, not just in doing it, but even in their disposition. And that's the second aspect of submission. Disposition. Look at verse 21. He says, at that very time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and saying, or said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Those of you who would look at this responsibility of having the gospel on your lips and feeling like, that is so not me. On the authority of scripture, that is so you. Why? Because spiritually, we are called to be like children in our dependence upon the Lord. You know, I think of, of, of you know, just children in general who, when they're very, very young, you know, we can, the things that they're amazed about by us as parents, you know, that, that, that classic line from, from one boy to another, yeah, my dad can beat up your dad, or, you know, my mom is prettier than your mom, or on Christmas morning, you give them a, a, a gift, and in truth, all we would have to do is just wrap up a box, and it didn't have to have anything in it except for those styrofoam peanuts and wrapping paper around the outside, and our kids would be thrilled with that. Oh, there comes a point where they're no longer thrilled. But why are they thrilled? They're thrilled because it came from us. It's exciting. Wow. They, 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 they come up to their parents and they put their arms out. And the parents are their world. When they fall down and they scrape their knee or they get hurt, where do they run and cry to? They go to their parents. There's this dependence upon mom and dad for everything. That's the disposition that the laborers of the harvest are to have. You say, I'm not good with words. I just, I can't, I can't talk like that. I can't, you're right. Which is going to make God's glory all the greater. Can I tell you, those of us who do talk for a living, those of us who feel very comfortable perhaps sharing the gospel, we run the risk of pride and bitterness in our labor. Why? Pride from the standpoint of, we got this. I don't need the Lord's help. I mean, we never say that in so many words. But it would be easy to just approach it from the standpoint of this is in my comfort zone. So, of course, I'll share the gospel, no problem. Of course, we should be laborers of the harvest. Why aren't you? Which leads to bitterness when we see others who maybe aren't as evangelistic with their words, maybe more timid, maybe whatever. And, and this element of bitterness, like, why don't you get it? Why, why aren't you carrying the gospel? Why aren't you as evangelistic? Don't you know that souls are, are dying and going to hell? The answer is yes, they do. But the thing is, is that we can become bitter 
when others don't see the urgency like we do. It is you, the one who God describes as a little child. It's me who should live as a little child dependent upon the Lord because he is the one that does the work in the first place. And he does not need my wisdom and he does not need my intelligence. 1 Corinthians 1 says, there are few, but not many. The labors of the harvest, God intentionally chooses and desires for them to be submissive. But secondly, secondly, we also see his desire that they are grateful. Grateful. You say, where do you see gratitude? Grateful. Where, what does that have to do with this passage? Well, let's look at verse 20. Jesus, after the disciples come back, saying they've done these things in his name, Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. The laborer in the harvest is grateful that he's part of the harvest, that he's included in his role in the harvest. Put differently, he's grateful for being just in his position. You see, our tendency is to measure our significance, our value in what we do and not in who we are. Why is it that within the harvest, within the laboring, why is it that God sees fit to have some harvests be bountiful and other harvests to be pretty thin? Why is it that in ministry, the word of God can go forth powerfully in one area where multiple souls are saved, where God seems to be doing a work, even a work of revival, Whereas in other areas, God sees fit to have a select few. The fact is, is that God does what he wants. And the outcome of what we do as his laborers is up to him. Can I tell you, one of the greatest fears that we have in being disciple makers is the response to our message. How are people going to take this? But can I tell you that our, one of our greatest fears, that fear of response, is something we literally have no control over outside of prayer. We've been called to faithfully give a message. Let's be grateful that we can. Let's be grateful that we've received it. But the outcome is up to the Lord. And even in this passage, you see two different outcomes. You have some in Bethsaida, some in Chorazin, some in Capernaum that have rejected, and you have others who have responded. This is part of God's will that we submit to, but we also recognize that it's really up to him. We're grateful not in just the outcome and the success by human standards. No, we're grateful for success that's defined as faithful obedience to God's word. And then secondly, we're grateful not just for our position, but we're grateful for our privilege to enjoy what other Christians 
would have longed to experience. Let's look there in verse 23. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them. And they wished to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. These little children, these infants, that were the laborers in the harvest, they were able to see and experience firsthand the works of Jesus Christ. And those Old Testament saints who either prophesied or served in positions of leaders, significant men by human standards, they would have longed to see what these 70 were witnessing. And we look at that and we would say, absolutely. We would love to be able to witness what Jesus did. We'd love to be able to see his power manifest in that way. And there will be a day where we do. But can I tell you that we in the 21st century enjoy privileges that our first century brothers and sisters in Christ would have loved to enjoy? For example, just this. This is like one of four or five physical Bibles that I have. Thank God for my Bible. I can open it. I can read it. I can leave it in my car and go somewhere else and find another one. And if I can't find another one, I can pop it up on my phone. What a privilege that saints who entered into eternity would have loved to enjoy. Not only that, but clarity and clear present, presentation of doctrine. You know, during our Sunday school time, we have Tony Irillo teaching a GLDI class called Our Christian Heritage. And in that class, he's talking about how the first century church up through the fifth and sixth century, how they were working through the formulation of doctrine. Who was Jesus? Who is God? What is, the, what is the church? What, what are the books that should be included in Holy Scripture? They're doing all of these things. And here we are, standing on their shoulders. And for that, we should be grateful. And thirdly, I think of the opportunity for face-to-face -face fellowship within the body of Christ. We have the luxury, I mean, just through technology, to be able to see each other often see each other face to face. If I want to see a brother and sister in Christ across town, it would take me 10, 15 minutes, barring traffic. If I want to see a brother and sister in Christ, excuse me, across the globe, I could either Zoom them, FaceTime them, text them, or get on a plane and go see them. I can have this level of communication that Paul would have loved to have enjoyed. I mean, you think of all of his writings and how many times he said, how I long to be with you, how I long to see you. We have been spoiled with the privileges that technology affords to physically be with one another. For that, we should be grateful. And our gratitude should translate into action. So Jesus has called the labors of his harvest these 
children. To be submissive, he's called them to be grateful. And as we look there at the end of verse 21, yes, Father, for this way was pleasing, was well-pleasing in your sight. This is what God intended all along. I mean, the end of verse 21 is like the theme of the Bible. This way was well-pleasing in your sight. God gets the glory by choosing men like men and women like these 70, by choosing men and women like you and me to be laborers in the harvest, declaring at that point in time the kingdom was at hand. And at this point in time, Jesus is the king and you must accept him. What a privilege that is. How humbling that is that we would have that role. May we actively submit to what we've been called to do. And may we take the time to be grateful for what it is that we have in Christ and what we have that perhaps other saints don't have the luxury of having or didn't have the luxury of having. And may we endeavor as we do this work of the harvest as disciple makers in the 21st century that we may give God the glory and see him well pleased for what he is doing through us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for these men who took a message, spoke it the way it was supposed to be spoken, saw you work in a way that was unbelievable. And yet, Lord, these weren't superstars. These weren't these weren't the most qualified people. They were simple men and women. They were people who were simply obeying, doing your will. And they were people that you chose. People that you intended to have them go. God, fast forward, when we fast forward to the 21st century, when we fast forward to what you have called us to do, Lord, help us to not short what you have called us to do and what you have empowered us to do through your spirit. Help us, Lord, to obey. May the spirit within us prompt us, direct us to speak your word to those who need to hear it. And God, in that time and in our time here on earth, may we be known for our thankfulness, for our gratitude, that we have been called to be children of the Lord and that we have the privileges that we have. Truthfully, Lord, we will give an account for how we steward those privileges. So, Lord, please, may we honor you and bring you glory by our role in the harvest. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us, uh, for, for joining me really at this time. I'm looking forward to being able to see you soon. Um, just want to give a real quick 
explanation as to what is to come in the weeks following. So uh, we're going to continue studying through Luke 10, but this coming week on October 11th, we're going to be having a World Mission Sunday. So on World Mission Sunday, we're going to be having three different missionaries from around the globe present their ministries. And during the evening service, we're going to be having them share their particular uh, ministries. So next week, during this time, you'll be able to watch those uh, videos of those missionaries and their missions. And then the week after, we'll pick back up in the book of Luke. Thank you so much. We love you. Please continue to keep our church, our country in prayer as we pray for you.